You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. I mean, it, it, it's like, you know, trying to find a walnut in a damn tree somewhere. I wish you I wish you boys learned how to play baseball and have love for the sport. Nowadays, it's all about the money. It's all about the years. Money it's about playing baseball. It's about pitching. It's about hitting. It's about defense. It's about average. It's about the wins. It's about loss. Not money. Not years. And that's what they worry about. My personalization. I ain't worried about you flipping a bat. I ain't worried about the years of money. No, they ain't gonna put me in there head coach. I'll show you how to run a baseball team. I'll show you how to run a baseball team. So as you can hear, Ed, there are people that are just frustrated that the White Sox have not done anything. And I'm, I'm getting there, but I'm not I'm not too excited about it. The Grandal signing a couple years ago, we thought that was early. That just happened on the calendar within the last week, two years ago. So, you know, we are still in November, as long as they do something, I'm not going to get upset that it, if whether or not it was done before or after Thanksgiving. Uh, I would like to see something before the, the lockout that I think is coming on December the 1st. I still don't think it's going to be very long, but I would like to see something happen beforehand. What do you think? And I think that that lockout deadline is... It's really where people are getting, I, I think, nervous because they, they wanted something to happen and you feel like in your real life, you're like, oh, it's Thanksgiving week and, you know, next week is December 1st. I can't believe it. Where did all the time go? The socks are out of time. It'll be spring training before we know it. And they're going to be stuck with Adam Engel in right field and Danny Mendick at second because Rick Hahn's terrible. And, you know, and you start getting down this rabbit hole. And of course, none of that's true. And so, yes, they could have jumped on one of the early signings, and you saw Syndergaard and Andrew Heaney get signed quickly, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, one, they aren't kicking the tires on guys that, as fans, people want to see them sign, and two, it also doesn't mean that these guys who are going to sign are going to jump at their first opportunity to, to do so. I mean, if let's take Marcus Simeon, for example. And I don't know anything. I have no insider information whatsoever into this man's mindset. But let's face it. If he really, really wants to see what his market is, he is not signing before Thanksgiving to a contract with the White Sox because there's other teams that may be in play for him that don't have their stuff together or are sitting there at least telling, you know, telling his people, hey, give us a little bit of time. Let us know if you start getting offers in. We're going to make one. And, you know, if it's the right team and it's a team that's known for spending money that's sitting there waiting, I don't know, like, say, the Mets, who just got their GM in place. Yeah, maybe, uh, you know, maybe something is going to start to happen once that lockout ends because it, it, it might not it just might not be something that goes on this weekend or the beginning of next week. This episode and every episode of Socks in the Basement brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. You heard their ad right at the beginning of the show. They're 24-7 available to you, 708 708- 330-4466. I'm using their new gutter cleaning service right here at the Lanuti household. They take 10% off all the way through the month of November on any job you sign a contract for. So it's not 
when the job is done, you're setting something up with them. You start talking to them right here in the month of November, and you're going to get a discount. You also get a discount for mentioning Socks in the Basement. Double up, why don't you? I mean, save yourself some money, protect your home, protect what matters in your basement. Water in the basement ruins everything. It ruins your day, it ruins your week, it ruins your month, it ruins everything that's down in the basement. It's absolutely brutal. I've had it happen to me before. I do not believe it'll ever happen to me again because I now use Family Waterproofing. Check out all they have to offer at FamilyDry.com. A quick thing that I want to read here, a comment from last show that we got at SocksInTheBasement.com, which is a great place to interact with us. You can leave voice messages like the one you heard at the beginning of the show. I don't I don't care if it's a serious voice message or you're just ranting. I'm, I'm completely fine with it. And then you can also leave us comments at SocksInTheBasement.com as well. And I wanted to read this one for you because it comes off our last show. All of the shows are on demand. Scott Merkin on our previous show. And Mark wrote, I just listened to the Scott Merkin podcast and wanted to say, and in all caps, thank you. I have been saying for months that, at the moment, the Madrigal trade is worse than the Tatis trade because Tatis was a literal lottery ticket. If Han traded a starting second baseman with five years of control for a reliever with a 5-plus ERA who never pitched in a high leverage situation, it would be the low point of his time as GM. If the Sox sign Simeon, all is all right. If they platoon Mendick and Gonzalez... The trade looks even worse. Look, that isn't the only comment we've gotten just like that. I had people who reached out through Twitter. I had people who called me who I know who were like, hey, Chris, you nailed it on that one. It it will be the biggest blunder of Rick Hahn's career if after making the trade where he deals Mandrigal and moves on from him, he's not able to fix that in the offseason and he goes into what we have right now. It's a complete and absolute disaster. Uh, I do want to talk, though, uh, a little bit today about an article written by our friends over at Sox on 35th. Uh, I love that blog. I love all the stuff they do. A lot of analytical guys on there. And, uh, you know, Jordan Lazowski we've had on before is on there. This one written by a guy who goes under the handle Millennial Sox. I think that's his Twitter handle. Yeah. I, otherwise, his parents were really, really prescient about what he was going to be doing with his time. And he wrote a really good article, though, and it's titled, Should Tim Anderson Continue to Lead Off? And as I went through the article, it brings up an awful lot of stuff. I'm not going to read the article to you, Ed, but I, I kind of wanted to have a discussion kind of like that goes off of this article that I read. Because what he did was he looked at a lot of stats. He used some stats that were collected by a guy who's been on this show before, Jay Kuda. And uh, you can follow Jay online on Twitter at Jay Cuda, C-U-D-A. Jay is J-A-Y, J-A-Y-C-U-D-A. He's a great follow because he does really crazy stats and he does a lot of deep dives. And some of the stuff he pulls out, you're like, wow, really? Like he talked about Tim Anderson in the playoffs, 0 for 5 against Lance McCullers, 16 for 28 against everybody else. These are the kind of things he throws out there. Or the fact that the average leadoff man in 2021 in Major League Baseball, his slash line was a 262 average 332 on base percentage, 431 slugging. Anderson was 309, 338, 469. His OPS 807 higher than the average at 763. But these are the stats, and there were several other ones that were thrown out there. As the conversation began, yeah, we love Tim Anderson and what he does, and he is a spark plug at the top of the lineup. But are there guys, not only Anderson, because there's other guys that I'm not sure should be in the place that they're at. I don't think Jose Abreu should be hitting where he's hitting right now, especially uh, depending on what pitcher he has up there, if it's a righty or a lefty. Is it time now after a full season in 2021 to start actually thinking to ourselves, Is are, are we getting the most out of these players or are we stubbornly just keeping them in a spot because that's where they've been for the last couple of years in the lineup? Do you ever think about whether or not Tim Anderson should be the leadoff guy? 
Well, yeah, and, and I, I think you have to. You know, anytime the Sox go through a slump, anytime you have what happened in the ALDS happen where, you know, there's there's struggles at periods of time to score runs, you have to take a look at them. And, and frankly, Anderson is a leadoff hitter. I don't know. I, I kind of agree with the assessment there that it's not necessarily where I would picture him. Before I get into the stats, why? Because, like, I'm, I was kind of looking for your gut reaction, and I think I'm getting it, where I bring up, like, hey, there's an article. Should he be the leadoff guy? I didn't even tell you what the article concluded, but I, I find it interesting that just kind of leading into it right away, you're like, yeah, I don't know if he should be the leadoff guy. Why do you think, before I go through the stats, that he may not be the right guy to be the leadoff guy? Well, I, my problem with, with Anderson's game is that he is going to hit his way on or that's it. You know, he just is not a guy who takes a lot of walks. I always picture the leadoff hitter as being a guy that is going to not necessarily get on every single time. It doesn't have to be somebody with, you know, a, a, a batting title average like Anderson has. But it's going to be a guy with a high on-base percentage. It's going to be a guy who works the count. It's going to be a guy who frustrates pitchers. Frankly, it's a guy like Nick Madrigal, who we no longer have who is going to get under the pitcher's skin to start off with and give the guys a chance to get this guy who is still feeling his way on the mound, give, you know, whoever's batting behind him. Let's say it's Robert batting second, and I know you don't like Abreu there, but I'm going to keep Abreu batting third. The idea behind the leadoff hitter, I think traditionally, when we were watching Tim Raines as a leadoff hitter or Ray Durham as a leadoff hitter or Scotty Pods as a leadoff hitter, you know, or going with guys like Vince Coleman or even Ricky Henderson. Henderson was obviously a, a freak of nature, but the whole idea behind Henderson was he wasn't an easy out. And I think Anderson goes through periods where he can be a bit of an easy out. And if he's got the wrong guy on the mound, like McCullers, who you know, ate him up, you can make a case that Anderson is probably better served lower in the lineup where he can also use his ability to hit for some power or get a hit in those situations where guys are on base already and the pitcher can't worry about walking him because he's, and he's got to give into him to a certain degree and throw him strikes and give Anderson, who's got the great bat to ball skills an opportunity to put the ball in play somewhere, as opposed to, you know, watching him and we've seen it before open up a game, you know, strike one, foul ball, strike three. Socks in the basement listeners do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. All right, so here's the thing. First of all, a stat that goes to what you're talking about. When you look at all the players that played baseball in the major leagues for the White Sox last year, I mean, I'm saying anybody from Jose Abreu is with the team all year long to a guy like Adam Eaton, 
okay, a Danny Mendick, and, and even throw in a Yerman Mercedes. Tim Anderson ranks 19th amongst all players that went and took an at-bat for the White Sox this year in terms of his walk percentage, 4%. He sits right there next to Billy Hamilton. He was lower than many guys that are your regular your regular starters, much lower. Like Yasmani Grandal, by comparison, was first with a 23.2% walk rate. Yuan Moncada came in third with a 13.6% walk rate. Jose Abreu in the eighth spot at 9.3%, just to kind of give you an idea of what that 4% means. But I would ask you this question, and I feel like this is an issue with when we pay so much attention to walks. And walks are great. I love walks, okay? Get on base, that's a good thing. But let me ask you what you'd rather have. The average leadoff man in 2021 had an on-base percentage of 332. And Tim Anderson had a 338. So he's slightly above average from all leadoff men in Major League Baseball. Now, he does that mostly with hits. He doesn't walk because he hit 309, right? But would you rather have, this is a legit question, a guy who has a 338 on on-base percentage with a 309 batting average or a guy with a 338 on on-base percentage with a 250 batting average? I feel like sometimes we look at the walk number and we, we put too much onto it because I would much rather have the guy that puts the ball in the play if he's getting on base the same amount as the guy that hits 250. Like, I feel like the walk thing is a way to elevate a guy to hits 250 and say, well, he's at least close to value as this guy who hits 309, right? It's a way of saying, okay, this guy hits 250, but the amount of times he walks Make those all singles that don't advance runners more than just one base if there's a guy directly in front of him, but at least he's a 338 on base percentage. On the other hand, though, I'd much rather have the guy that puts the ball in the play and has the 338 on base percentage, but he puts it in play at a 309 clip and guys are running all over the base paths and he's making something happen. So with that, I don't get concerned with his walk rate because now I've seen multiple years where he is a contender for a batting title, wins a batting title, or at least hits over 300 and keeps that OPS higher than the average leadoff man in Major League Baseball. And I say, damn the walks, I don't care because he's getting on at the same clip as the guys who walk and he's actually putting the ball on the play more. Yeah, well, yeah, and and, and I think it's a question too, though, of not just statistically how often does he get on. I think it's a question of some of maybe the more advanced stats that you look at, you know, in some of his splits. So here's the thing. As a first batter of the game in, in 2021, 123 games that, that Anderson played, he was the leadoff hitter in every single game, right? As the first batter, he's got a 258 batting average and an on-base percentage of 276. It gets much better leading off the inning overall, where he had uh, 232 of his total 551 plate appearances. There, you know, when he's leading off an inning later on, he's 300, his on-base percentage is 336. It's more aligned with what his overall numbers are, right? But he's not great leading off a game. Let's put it that way. But he's good otherwise, right? Right. So here, now we'll go to a stat that's in this article that's from at Jay Kudo, who's been on this show before. And this article, again, over at Sox on 35th, which is very interesting. Yasmani Grandal has got the high walk rate. When White Sox hitters, he, he looked at every time a White Sox hitter started an inning. I, I mean, this guy really just, he's got nothing to do, obviously. I love him for it. He's like, okay, let's find every inning of 162 and let's see who started that inning. And then let's find out how many runs we scored in that inning with that guy starting the inning off. That's what he did, right? Yasmani Grandal leads the list going through who leads off an inning. 0.71 runs per inning when he started an inning. 
And he goes down the list. Vaughn was actually number two, tied with Jimenez at 0.69 runs per inning when he led off an inning. Robert was next at 0.62, Abreu at 0.60. And then Anderson, your leadoff man, 0.57 runs per inning. So Anderson came in sixth, actually, in terms of creating runs when he leads off. And and what's uh, disappointing to me also is I see Yuan Moncada, and he's going to pop up every once in a while while I'm showing these stats here. Some of them are really positive. Some of them, though, you sit there and you go, man, oh, man, 0.46 runs per inning. He's down towards the bottom of the list that was provided here in this article. All right, like he doesn't really get things going. People will say, oh, lead him off. There's a there's strong argument. You would not lead him off looking at that stat. So I get what you're saying. Anderson is not creating runs. And, and here's the thing. I, I want to say this right off the bat. I've thought for a long time that I feel like we're wasting Tim Anderson in that average. I'd like to have guys on base when he comes up and he does something great because I think he's a clutch hitter. On the other hand, you can make the argument, but you want your best hitter to get as many at-bats as humanly possible, and he's one of your better hitters. So there's a real back and forth in this entire thing. Let me give you some more stats here, and then we'll try to wrap this up and see what we kind of think about this. But here's just some things from this article that I saw in Sox on 35th questioning whether or not Tim Anderson should be the leadoff hitter. And I don't know what the right answer is here, but I think it's fair to question it. There is a stat, the uh, BSR, okay, it is a uh, it's a base running stat, okay? Baseball statistic invented by Sabermetrics uh, people, and it's basically trying to figure out how many runs are being created by how well the guy's running the bases, okay? I mean, seriously, I could spend 20 minutes here trying to break down how they come up with this. Again, some of these sabermetric stats, they might be real, and they might just be something really fake that we all just fall for. But Tim Anderson was number one on the team with 6.1 for his BSR. He was he was clearly the best. He was heads and tails above the next closest guy. Number two was at half of those. So he creates runs with excellent base running is what the point is here. In terms of his slugging, Tim Anderson ranks seventh on the team. In terms of his on-base percentage, Tim Anderson ranked sixth on the team. And we already talked about his walk rate. So we have all those stats sitting in front of us. The final thing that happened here, and I found this really interesting, again, Jay Kuda, he ran an algorithm using on-base percentage and slugging percentage and simulated 300,000 games. This is the claim. All right. Just to see, depending on where you put a guy in position, whether or not you could generate more runs with the same players. Now, what his thing showed, if you're listening to who's showing up at the top of certain lists, that the guy who has the best walk rate, 23.2%, Yasmani Grandal. The guy that has the base, best on-base percentage, 420, Yasmani Grandal. Okay, the guy who's second in slugging at the 520, Mark, Yasmani Grandal. If you led off Yasmani Grandal going with Luis Roberts second in your order and dropped Anderson down to seventh, and there's other guys in here like Abreu actually drops to fifth, this was the simulation that produced the most amount of runs. And if you look at the top 20 simulations, Grandal shows up in the one spot almost all the time. And Robert shows up in the two spot a lot. And Mancata, strangely enough, ends up in the three spot. And Abreu, strangely enough, ends up in the five spot most times. And Anderson is almost always in the seventh spot. The idea being you want guys on base in front of him, and then that batting average is going to make an awful lot more of an impact. But that he's not getting on base as much as a Grandal or even a Robert. So while he is doing better than most Major League Baseball leadoff guys, he's just slightly above in his on-base percentage. 
There are better guys on this team for getting on base. And the argument becomes, do you want a traditional leadoff guy or do you want to go with what the numbers say should be your leadoff guy? Do you think it's insane to lead off Yasmati Grandal? No, well, exactly what I said at the start, right? The job of the leadoff hitter, especially in the first inning, to get the team going is to work the pitcher. It's not necessarily even about successfully getting on base. That's great, you know. But Yasmani Grandal, every time he steps up to the plate, at least last year in particular, the pitcher had a job in front of him. He was not going to get out of that at-bat easily. Tim Anderson can put the ball in play very quickly and end an at-bat early, right? And, And that, I think, is the major difference. So I would absolutely look at Yasmani Grandal as a leadoff hitter because they are also the Sox are just not a base running base stealing team they're they're a base running team because they do have to run the bases but they're not a base stealing team by any stretch of the imagination and you don't have a whole lot of guys up and down the lineup that are going to run and you don't have a Scott Pesednik on the team because Tim Anderson's really not that guy either who's going to be you know challenging for some sort of a record you know, or whether it's a team record or a season record or whatever. So you're you're looking at getting a guy on who's going to make that guy work, and then you're going to bring up I – mean, think about it from the pitcher standpoint. I'm a pitcher. I go out there, and I've got to throw 12 pitches to get past Yasmani Grandal, and I'm still trying to find a feel for my off-speed pitches. I'm still trying to find my location. I'm getting used to the mound, and now i got to face Luis Robert. I think I'm in hell. Yeah, when you say that out loud, I go, yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome to watch. Like, like I, this this whole time I'm sitting there thinking this is stupid, and then you say that, and I go, "Oh man, it'd be awesome! What a way to start a game, right?" Here, here's the other thing about Tim Anderson is that in 191 plate appearances in 2021 with men on, he hit 339 with an 838 OPS. So when guys get on in front of him, he turns it on. I mean, he's back to challenging for the batting title, but. Yeah, so, and now, let's flash forward. Now I've somehow made it to the second inning, and I've got to get I got to get through this inning again, and uh, Jose Abreu leads off against me, and he's on first base. Now i got to face Tim Anderson, a batter or two later, and I know this guy's going to put it in play, and I know no matter what, I'm going to be looking at like a first and third situation, or I'm going to be looking at a guy on second with yet another run in. So, I... Uh, I would I would absolutely be in favor of putting pitchers through as much hell as possible. And if that means T.A. lower in the lineup, and that means somebody like Grandal just absolutely wrecking somebody's day to start off with, I'm there for it. It's definitely something the White Sox should be looking at. And just because a guy was perfect in a spot two years ago doesn't mean that guy's perfect for the spot now. And I believe that even with the brashness, Tim Anderson, if it's explained to him, This team's better if we move you here. I think he would do it. Socks in the Basement fans, while you're out looking for a meal, lunch, or dinner, especially if you're trying to impress somebody, a great place to go to. I enjoy eating at. I never thought I'd be into this kind of food. Let me tell you something right now. This place has not only French cuisine, but it has Thai food, Vietnamese food. It's done well. It, it's basically, it's the most authentic stuff, and yet it's not scary. It's spectacular food. It's the art of food over at TT's Restaurant located in Westchester. 
11055 Roosevelt Road that is just to the east of Wolf Road on Roosevelt. Brand new location, their second location. And this place is spectacular. Incredible bar. They make great martinis. If you're a martini fan, this is the place to go. And also just spectacular food. I, I'm going to tell you something, Ed. I, I've never been one of these guys that's adventurous when it comes to my meals. I, I, I really am not. My wife makes fun of me because I there are toppings I won't put on my pizza, but I'll let somebody fry them and I'll eat them out of a bag with ketchup. You know, like I there are certain right. things I just <laughs> like seriously, like like I'm still your typical Southsider when it comes to my taste in food. I really am. And the first time I walked into this place, I was like, I'm not going to like anything here. I love everything on this menu. It's absolutely incredible. Are you an adventurous food person? Oh, yeah. I'm 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 the adventurous guy when it comes are to you? food. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're a big adventure guy, huh? Yeah. And you told me about this place and I was like, oh, that sounds fantastic. The first time you were telling me about it. So <laughs> I, I'm I'm looking forward to going and checking them out next chance I get. Listen, absolute great portions and incredible uh, food. Uh, one of the things that they have there, they have these spare ribs that are there that I never had ribs that way. But the, now it's one of my favorite ways to eat ribs. So many things to discover over at TT's. It's spelled T-H-I-T-H-I. Check out their website at T-H-I-T-H-I restaurant.com. TT's Restaurant in Westchester, another great location supporting Socks in the Basement. Enjoy a meal there and mention that you heard about them right here on Socks in the Basement. You may also hear for the first time right here on Socks in the Basement, the official Hall of Fame ballot. And there's always controversy. Uh, In fact, this year is going to be, I think, the most controversial ballot ever because it's the last year for Roger Clemens, the last year for Barry Bonds. Kurt Schilling asked to be taken off because he doesn't like the fact that he's not been put in the Hall of Fame. It's the last year for Sammy Sosa. It's the first year for David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez, two guys that have had these steroid things swirling around them. So this is going to be a really, really interesting year for the Baseball Hall of Fame. Now, I'm one of those people that thinks it's the Hall of Fame, not the Hall of Very Good. And I I want the best guys in there. Oh, okay. On the other hand, based upon who's in there, there are guys that I think should really make it into the Hall of Fame that are on this list that I don't know why they're not in the Hall of Fame. I also don't get why you have to wait eight years to convince writers whether or not a guy was good enough. Like, the idea is they're either in or they're out. I don't understand why it's like, well, they got 22% this year. Then the, the year after that, if they get 36, eventually about year eight, they'll get up to that 75% mark. I think that's stupid. That, that's what annoys me about the baseball writers. It's, it's annoying. It's obnoxious. And stop doing it. Just just vote for who you think is a Hall of Famer, and the votes shouldn't change that often from year to year. You shouldn't be getting convinced over and over and over. It's just stupid. It should be five years, first of all, not ten that you're on the ballot. We're just we're just messing around with this whole thing. And you should be able to vote for as many guys as you want to to get in. And then if they get enough votes, they're in. And if they don't, they're not a Hall of Famer. I don't understand how a guy gets better 10 years later when he's already been retired for five years. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. All right? You're looking at the list right now. We're not going to read down all the names, but give me one or two guys that you want in the Hall of Fame and you don't know why they're not voted in yet. Uh, holding Mark Burley aside for a second, the, the other two guys that catch my attention when I look at the list are Todd Helton and Jeff Kent. And Helton, Helton was one of the best hitters in the game for his entire career. Um, I, you know, I, I just, I don't, I don't know what else the guy could have done. And I don't know if it's a course field effect or what, but he belongs in there. And Jeff Kent was the best second baseman of his era. I mean, that, that's, 
There's really no dispute about that. And he had one of the best mustaches of his era or any era of baseball. You know what? Jeff Kent would be the top second base target for this guy right here talking. If he were around right now and in free agency, I would want the White Sox to go get him. Jeff Kent was a ball player. And he, I think just people just, I don't know, they didn't like him. He wasn't a very personable guy. But you take Jeff Kent and you put him in the modern game right now, and Jeff Kent is what every other second baseman now aspires to be. Back back when he played, second base was a defensive position. The second baseman didn't go out and do what he did offensively. He did it. He did it on the West Coast when there wasn't very much coverage. He's playing most of his games when people are asleep, and I think he's been overlooked. He's a great ball player. I agree with you on Todd Hilton. Just because a guy played in Coors doesn't mean that you just decide he's ineligible for the Hall of Fame. He was a great hitter. And then I would also add on to that. I agree with both of those. I would add on Gary Sheffield. Gary Sheffield should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, oh, yeah. I, I yeah. feel like he should be in the Hall of Fame and... You know, I don't know if there's anything attached to Sheffield, but Chef just seemed like he was a baller. He was a good ball player. You see him moving up the list. He's one of those guys that I think is eventually getting in. And my question is, why do you need all these years to decide he's good? His stats aren't changing, so I don't know what you're waiting for. I I don't get it either. All three of those guys aside, Mark Burley, he's a Hall of Famer to me. For what he did during the time he played baseball, to the consistency and his comparison. You have to compare him to pitchers in his era. There aren't very many guys that did what Mark Burley did over the amount of years that Mark Burley did it, went out and got themselves a championship ring, a no-hitter, a perfect game, did something incredible like pitch game two and come out and pitch in relief in game three of the World Series and actually get the save. I mean, like, Mark Burley is a Hall of Fame baseball player that is... He's he's a like right now. I'm saying this. You have A.J. Przinsky on this ballot. He isn't as good as Mark Burley. I'm not sitting there going to make a case for him. I wouldn't make a case for for Paul Canerco to be a Hall of Famer. I never thought that. But Mark Burley's a Hall of Famer. And I feel like he's one of those guys that if he doesn't get in, he's going to be one of those guys where that average is up really high when he gets to the year 10. But I think Mark Burley should get in. And I think when you really do a deep dive into his stats, uh, it's hard to deny him an opportunity to go be in the Hall of Fame. I think right now, if you put him in, I think I talked about this last year, if you put him in, he already ranks higher than a good 30% of pitchers when you look at their stat lines that are already in the Hall of Fame. He actually fits right in there. With all the other starting pitchers in the Hall of Fame, he's not at the bottom of the list. He's not in the bottom 10 that made it into the Hall of Fame. He sits there pretty solidly in the list of pitchers if you just inserted him with all the other pitchers in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I, I don't think there's too many pitchers that are out there that can basically say that they've got two perfect games in their career. Because, let's face it, when Burley just threw the no-hitter against the Rangers, that could have been called a strike on Sammy Sosa, and then what did he do on the very next move? Picked Sosa's lazy butt off of first base. I think he was just showcasing his talents, quite frankly. Right. I think he actually asked the ump to give him the walk just so he could pick Sammy off of first. So, in my mind, I, I think when you look at all the things that he accomplished, if you're just focused on wins which I hate that that might still be the thing that they focus on 214 wins. eh, You know, it's not the magic 300, but everything else that the guy did all-star games, world series, gold glove after gold glove. What more can a guy do? If he pitched for the New York Yankees, he'd be in the hall of fame without a doubt. Mark Burley pitched for the New York Yankees and ESPN and the rest of the mainstream sports press was watching him all the time, he would be 
in the Hall of Fame. You would have people screaming about him not being in the Hall of Fame yet. The Mad Dog would be on right now, barking and yelling on MLB Network and on his radio show and everything else like that, sputtering nonsense, talking about how you're a terrible baseball fan because you don't understand how good Mark Burley is. It's just because he played on the south side of Chicago. And it's just it's the same thing as how Tad Hilton gets penalized for hitting in Coors Field. It's the same reason why you got Jeff Kent having a great career out in San Francisco, but everybody was asleep by the time he took the field half the time. It's where they played, not what they did. And again, something I think the deeper discussion is something needs to be done about how we actually select these guys. Because right now, this thing's just a mess. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.